for that. Revelation chapter 16. Everybody need a lesson out there? We need one up in the sound booth. Anybody else need one? Still have a few out there? Revelation chapter 16 is where we're headed tonight. And we're going to deal with the vile judgments. We talk about a vial. We're talking about a bowl or a container. Uh, they use Maybe a beaker in chemistry class, but uh, this is what a container that we're talking about. That these elements of the judgments in the tribulation period. And let's read in Revelation 16 as we get started. 
And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways, and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Now we're going to look at the seventh vial as well tonight, but we'll stop our reading right there. Yeah, to go back and begin to process this, this is a, such a devastating time in prophecy to think about. And we've talked about the different viewpoints of when the tribulation will be and when the rapture will be and how it will all take place. And we've said before that we don't really have to know every detail of prophecy uh, as long as we're secure in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again and that these events are events of judgment against those on the earth. One of the phrases that always strikes me when I read this chapter is down in verse number 6, the end of the verse, it says, For they are worthy. You know, since humanity has started, there are not many times where God has given men what they deserve. Um, when it comes to our time here on this earth, we don't really get much of what we deserve. Now, Noah's flood was certainly a time where mankind got what they deserved. God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. And because man would not hearken to God and they refused to listen to what God had to say, uh, there was a worldwide flood and only eight human beings were left on the earth. But this is a time in Revelation where these judgments are so intense and they're so comprehensive. 
And uh, sometimes we read through it, and well, goodness gracious, how could anyone not repent? But you may recall that in the plagues of Egypt, that Pharaoh never repented. Now, he would sometimes say, okay, okay, tell God to call the frogs off. And I'll let you do this. Or tell God to call the locusts off. And I'll play and I'll, I'll do this. But he never truly repented, which is evidenced by the fact that he was drowned in the Red Sea. Even after he let them go, he still chased them. And it shows sometimes the repentance that I believe human beings say they have toward God. We say that we've repented, but so often it's just words. It doesn't really mean anything. And we go back, the Bible says in Peter, as a dog returning to his vomit, or as a pig returns to the mire, we go back on our word to God. And repentance is a change of heart, but it's a change of heart that results in a change of action. And and so when you think of their repentance or their lack of repentance tonight, I hope you'll understand the devastating prospect of eternity that these people will face. Let's talk through it in your notes. The time sequence of the seven, the seven vials or bold judgments encompasses the second half of the tribulation period. So this is an entire three and a half year period that will take place during these judgments. And uh, we've First, latch on to this vial in verse number 2. And the the first angel goes out. But he only goes out after he has had God tell him, go thy way. Now, I want you to notice a contrast. Go back to chapter 8. Okay, chapter 8, remember the trumpet judgments? Look at Revelation 8, verse 6. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded. Now, do we ever find there where God has to tell the trumpet player to play? No, he knew what the sequence was, and he went ahead and did what had been initiated, what he was supposed to do. But in these vile judgments, (laughs) they're so horrible, and we say this in your notes, The angels that hold the vials seem reluctant to deliver these judgments. It's almost as they know the sequence, but they don't really want to start this process because it's going to be so intense. And and so the angels even seem reluctant to deliver these judgments. But they're commanded in chapter 16 by God himself, go your ways. And uh, they go out and pour the vials. They're going to pour them sequentially on the earth. So let's cover vial number one. And let's read it again at verse two. The first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Now we know that this is the second half of the tribulation because of all the prophecy in the Bible and the way it lines up. But specifically... Because the mark of the beast and the worship of the beast does not even begin until the middle point of the tribulation. You may remember what causes it to begin. Um, The Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation 
is going to be wounded to the head. And he's going to be wounded so grievously that he'll die. And his body will lie in the streets for three and a half days. At the end of three and a half days, Satan will come inside of him and use his body to come back from the dead. And when that happens, the false prophet and Satan himself and the beast who's been raised from the dead will become this false trinity. And when this false trinity begins, there'll be a giant image that will be raised to worship the beast. There will be uh, the mark of the beast that you'll have to take to associate your worship with the beast. And uh, so all of these things begin to take place associated with vial one. And we say it in notes this way. Antichrist will not be set up as an object of worship until the middle of the tribulation. Those who have the mark of the beast will break out in grievous sores like boils. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Job. Probably have. Uh, not, not a really long book. It's 42 chapters, but not really that long in pages. You might remember in Job how uh, the sons of men, the angels, appeared before God. And a Satan, who used to be one of them, he came with them. And uh, he's, God said to Satan, where have you been? Oh, well, I've been roaming the earth, seeing what's going on with all the people down there. Have you considered Job? There's nobody like him. He fears God. He eschews evil. And Satan said, well, for good reason. He's got everything he wants. Look at his family. They're the model family. Look at all the sheep he has. Look at all the possessions that he has. And uh, take that away from him, and he'll curse you. And uh, so God and Satan had a wager over what a man would do. And it's the most incredible thing. It, it's so hard to wrap your brain around the book of Job. And I understand that there's something that much bigger than us going on. And so Job in one day loses all of his possessions. He loses all of his kids. And it's still, he told his wife, the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Remember this? And so here comes back Satan before God. And God says to him, hey Satan, have you seen Job? He lost everything. I, I let you take everything from him. And still, he retains his fear of God. And he said, just do this. Satan said, do this. Let me attack him physically. And upon Job, God, God allowed, upon Job came boils that were so grievous that when his friends showed up, to mourn with him, they didn't even talk for seven days. And it, incredible, as they sat there and they watched him take pottery shards and scrape his boils. Now, I don't know in the United States if, how many people in this room would have even ever had a boil. And I don't really want to ask. Uh, it's not really something that we like to talk about or think about. But think of the worst physical injury that you've ever had. Think of the worst physical pain that you've had. And then just go ahead and take that and multiply it. And that's what was taking place here in this passage with this first vile judgment. It will only come upon those who worship the beast. 
Let's move on to vial number two. Vial two. Every living sea creature will be destroyed by the water turning to blood. This will permanently affect both commercial shipping and fishing industries. And so worldwide saltwater fishing will be totally wiped out, which is the number one source of food for many places on earth. Um, commercial fishing totally wiped out as the sea becomes blood. And I, I get a kick out of people who say, well, that just seems far-fetched to me. You realize this is the God who made water, right? This is the God who spoke H2O with the exact components into existence. And I've often got a kick out of thinking about the fact that we still have the same water today that Noah had. We still have the water that Balaam's donkey drank out of. The water is the water source. uh, We always say, boy, we're running out of water. And there's drought. Yeah, it's regional. It always happens. But the water that was on the earth originally that God made, still here. And uh, God is going to change the composition of seawater to be blood water during the second vial. The third vial is its cousin or its sequel. It will be upon fresh water. And fresh water will become blood. So vial three. During the sequel to the second vial, the entire world will be in a state of riot and confusion as people search everywhere for water they can actually drink. I don't know if any of you have ever kind of thought maybe we're being sold a bill of goods with the whole bottled water thing. It's like, where, where, where does bottled water actually come from? You know, how do they do that? Do they take a bunch of bottles and they go to a faucet somewhere and they just pour it in? Uh, Right? Especially when you go to third world countries or or you go somewhere across the world, you're like, yeah, this is bottled water, but it said it was made in Delhi, India. You know, or this is from some other place on the planet. And you wonder how good the bottled water really is. But you know, during this Bold judgment number three. Bottled water will be at such a high premium that people will give their very lives for it. And it would be at such a high premium. I don't know if you've ever been, probably most of us haven't been, but two to three days without water. And the way that your body begins to break down and I've only read about it in books. I don't think I've ever gone more than probably 16, 18 hours without water. But your body begins to break down and you get desperate. And uh, you read in some of the Old West and some of the desert places where they literally would kill people in their own party for the canteen because water was that valuable. And here in Bold Judgment number 3, when all of the fresh water is wiped out, It's going to be an incredibly volatile time on the earth. Um, Can you imagine the riots that will break out? Think of what we riot over now. Black Friday, right? And the number of DVD players that Walmart's going to sell for $21 at 2 in the morning or 11, 11 the night before or whatever it's going to be. 
That's what the big riots are over in the United States. We don't really understand rioting. Uh, You go to Europe, and they have riots at soccer matches where 20 people get trampled on the way out to death. Uh, You go to uh, over in India, some of the subway systems, and every day of the entire year, people are trampled to death on certain subway lines because they don't get off when, some, when the whole throng wants to get off. And uh, the riots around the earth, we don't really have any idea what that looks like, but do you imagine the rioting that will take place? Um, I kind of got a feel of this, and some of the people in India did. Picture being in a room that's uh, as big as maybe the first four or five rows here that has about 100 kids in it. And there may be 120. And they're all compressed together. And think about if you all of a sudden held up a toy. Right? All of a sudden, that 120 people are on you. Now, we didn't quite have it like that, but there are a few times where there were so many kids around that I had to use my aggressively high height to just kind of step out of myself so that I wasn't swarmed by them. Because they come on you quick. If, if you've got, what do we pass out? Little ar- plastic army men. You hold the plastic army men. We learned after the first few groups how to do it. It's a systematic way. If you just hold the toy up in the middle of a room of kids in India, you will be trampled over a little toy. And, a, and you begin to think of what the earth is going to be like as people murder each other for cases of water. It's going to be a rough time. Third vial. Vial number four. The human race will contend with actual global warming as the sun scorches earth with a heat wave like never before. With while being burnt, men will blaspheme God. So, vial number four is this vial upon the sun and the scorching that will begin to take place. Now, we already saw in the trumpet judgments how all of the luminary bodies will be affected in the trumpet judgments, and they will give only a third of their light or a third of their power. Now, during this judgment, the sun is going to scorch people where they actually go on fire because the sun is so hot. And uh, there are people who say, well, it couldn't do that. Have you ever seen how hot the sun is? Uh, did you know if the sun were a million miles closer than it is, that life on planet Earth could not exist? I just when it gets in that close stage where it's only 91 and a half million miles away in its orbit, Earth's, Earth's orbit, it would be 90 and a half million, and it would scorch us where we couldn't live. It'd be worse than Death Valley everywhere. And uh, tell you what, I don't know when the tribulation is going to come. I don't know when the rapture is going to come, but I know this: if Al Gore is still around. He's going to find out what global warming really is like. Because he's got in this panic all the time now that this man-made global warming is just going to destroy the planet. This will literally destroy people. 
They will be walking down the road trying to cover themselves up and they'll break out into fire. Um, just this combustion that takes place. What's that kind of combustion called? Spontaneous combustion. It's on the tip of my tongue. Spontaneous combustion is going to happen because of the power of the sun. We get to the fifth vial. And the fifth vial goes the extreme opposite direction. And we say in your notes, the world, specifically Babylon, as it talks about here, will fall into an exasperating darkness, causing emotional pain, much like the physical pain of aisle four. I don't know if you realize this or not, but darkness and heat will both be components of eternal hell. If you ever read the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that's what hell is. Hell is extreme high heat combined with extreme darkness. And there is nothing more devastating to the human psyche, apparently, than complete darkness. And that's what's going to happen. They will probably attempt to have some kind of man-made light still. But most of the earlier plagues will have wiped out all electricity grids. Yeah, there'll probably still be some batteries for flashlights and headlamps and things like that. But Earth will be most likely very primitive at this stage. Very primitive. All modern conveniences totally wiped out. And it says they nod their tongues for pain. The darkness is so intense that they gnaw their tongues for pain. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where it was completely dark. Like down in a cave a couple hundred feet below the earth, and all of a sudden there's no artificial light left. All the flashlights are off, all the headlamps are off, all the glow sticks are off. And it is so dark that you can't even begin to see one of your fingers. And you feel so lost. You think about people who are blind, who never experience light, and how devastating that has to be to the psyche. And these people will be crying out because of the pain of darkness. I know it's, it's even hard to fathom. Why would anyone cry out because of darkness? Well, how many of your kids were afraid of the dark? Remember that? Um, How many of your kids still are afraid of the dark? Yeah, still afraid of the dark. Why? Because you didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, there was a boogeyman in the closet. He's going to come out and get you. Well, at this point, they don't know what's coming next. And, And so this darkness is very intense. But you notice in verse 11... They blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. So what they decided to do was they decided to blame this whole thing on God. Now, I want you to think of how similar that is to modern day civilization. Do you know that there are a lot of people who if anything bad happens in their life, they blame it on God. They say, God, how could you do this to me? 
How could you do this to our family? How could you let this happen to him or her? And that's really the same exact thing. Because you're attributing an act to God that he didn't do. That's blasphemy. And, and so it correlates with verse number 11 and with some of these other parts of the passage we've read. The sixth vial has two parts. And uh, one of them is one of the strangest parts of any judgment you can ever read about. The first part is this. The Euphrates River will supernaturally dry up. Now, the Euphrates River is massive. It's one of the largest rivers on earth. It was where civilization first started. It was one of the borders of the Garden of Eden. And it's also uh, a border to the eastern side of the entire Roman Empire in history. It's about 1,600 miles long, massive. And the Bible says that it will dry up. And I know there are theologians who try to figure out, well, I think that that means that this dam in Turkey will break and the river will flow out and dry up. Can I tell you, this is a supernatural thing. If God wants to dry up a river, pretty sure He can figure out how to dry up a river. He made the Red Sea stand up on end and had a dry path going through it. And then He did it with the Jordan River twice. Right? He did it at the Jordan River with His people and then Elisha just did it just for fun, it seems like. Elisha hit it with Elijah's mantle and he walked across on dry ground. And so God has power over water. Um, water is pretty powerful on its own. But God has tamed the waters, and He knows exactly what to do with this, so He's going to dry up the river. Now, the second part of this is that three unclean spirits, like frogs, will come out of the mouths of each one of the satanic trinity. And they will be a voice or a mouthpiece to all of the kings of the earth. Because the Antichrist will lose his peace accord. Um, people are not going to trust the guy anymore during this part of the tribulation. This is almost to the battle of Armageddon. And so these voices or these mouthpieces will go to the remaining parts of civilization that still exist on the earth and call them to come to a great battle. And we find out in the passage that it's the battle of Armageddon. There in verse number 16. So the demons will lead the rebellious armies of earth to Armageddon. And Armageddon is looked at in many passages in the scriptures. And we're going to see it in coming weeks in detail. But Armageddon in Hebrew literally means Mount of Slaughter. And so it's a horrible thing. There's the valley of Megiddo. Ezekiel talks about. Let's look at the seventh vial. Verse number 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders, and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and so great. 
And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talon. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Remember once when I was in college in Oklahoma, of course, they can have the tornadoes and they can have really bad thunderstorms. And one day I was out visiting on a bus route on Saturday afternoon and all of a sudden this black cloud started coming and uh, you could see things were beginning to drop. And uh, I just happened to be, they have those little uh, quarter car washes. And of course I had a very nice little 1980 Subaru GL that was made out of tank metal. So um, wouldn't have got hurt anyway, probably. But I pulled into that car wash and parked under one of the stalls. And the hail started to fall. And it was a good golf ball hail. And it was, a, it was big stuff. Um, it was hitting things out, roofs or, you know, getting pelted with it, and windshields are breaking. And uh, I, I thought of sitting there thinking, this is nothing. When I was a kid in Springfield, Missouri, a tornado came through our neighborhood and ripped a whole bunch of stuff apart. But the hail, we kept it in our freezer because nobody would believe us. We kept it in our deep freeze for like three years. Um, the hail were bigger than baseballs. Every roof in our entire neighborhood had to get a new roof because the hail was so big. Can you imagine getting hit in the head by baseball-sized hail? That knocks some sense into you. I had a friend who lived down the road who decided to run home during the hailstorm. He was only like three or four houses down. So he jumped on his bike and he went and started heading down the road. One of those hailstones hit him on the head, knocked him off his bike. And he's laying out there, didn't know what to do for a few minutes. The hailstones here, not baseball, not softball, not bowling ball, not basketball. Every hailstone, 135 pounds each. Can you imagine this? Now, I would point out to you, try to find out somebody who weighs 135 pounds, but it's likely either a teenage boy or a lady. So we won't do it. But can you imagine something 135 pounds hitting you out of the sky? It's just unbelievable. 135 pounds, the hailstones. Bible 7, we say this, Tribulation ends with this marvelous judgment. Initiated by the greatest earthquake in history and culminating with hailstones weighing in at 135 pounds each. So that's the seventh vial. Now, if you notice the voice from heaven in verse 17 saying, it is done. And what it's talking about here is that the day of Jehovah is done. The wrath of the Lamb is done. That the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ is beginning. And it's going to be taking place. The battle of Armageddon is right on the horizon. 
But notice again at the end of verse 21. And men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail. Our life groups talked about humanism this morning. You know, this is the ultimate end of humanism. To still make the final judgments of the tribulation period about man. And to stick your finger up in God's face and say, God, how dare you send this hail on us? As if we're anything. But that's what humanism does. It always tries to take God out of the picture and inflate man. And so please note again the hardness of the unsaved, unregenerate heart. Men of the earth will lift their faces in defiance against God even during the cataclysmic hailstorm. Not to mention the earthquake. Did you notice the earthquake? There's no more mountains. There are no more islands. It will be an intense, devastating time. I know that there are fictional authors who have tried to depict what the tribulation is going to be like. And I I remember years and years ago when LaHaye and Jenkins wrote their series, and maybe you read the series. But fictional authors can convey some idea of what it's going to be like, but it's going to be so much worse than anybody could imagine. And you certainly want to take a passage like this and attach it to a heart of outreach to go into your workplace, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, and to allow them to know truth so that they don't have to be here during these times. And we'll cover some more in coming weeks. Next Sunday night, there's no evening service because of our Labor Day picnic. And I hope you'll be here and have a great time for that. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a closing word. Check into your service group tonight since we don't have them next Sunday night. So just check out what's going on. Uh, Make sure that things are covered. And it may only be for one or two minutes, but check in if you would. Father, thank you for the faithful group that's here tonight. And I pray that as we read and discern what will take place in the tribulation period, that it would cause our hearts to stand in awe of your majesty. But it would also cause our hearts to Stand in compassion toward the lost. Guide us through this week. Keep us safe in the environments in which we live. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.